0: That's heritageradionetwork.org/15 to donate and enter to win today, and make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: My family recipe is a new podcast from Food 52 and Heritage Radio Network, bringing you cherished heirloom recipes and the stories behind them. Listen and follow wherever you get your
2: podcasts. Welcome to The Line here on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Eli Sussman. I'm so happy to be back on air with brand new episodes of the show. Honestly, there was a point during the pandemic where I just did not feel like interviewing anyone, but I began to miss creating these shows and talking to the brilliant innovators, chefs, and business owners in the food and beverage world, and getting back into the interview booth has been invigorating. I'm thrilled to kick off this new season with today's episode that was recorded a few weeks ago. It features the owners of Talea Beer Company, Tara Hankinson, and Leanne Darlin. Talea Beer Company is the only exclusively woman and veteran-owned and founded production brewery and taproom in New York City. Leanne's journey to Talea began when she first fell in love with craft beer during her time in the U.S. Navy when stationed in San Diego. After five years of naval service, she obtained a master's in finance and an MBA and began to work for Google. During that time, she began homebrewing and cold-emailing breweries to see if she could work for free to learn about the business. Sadly, no breweries responded, but either by chance or fate, Leanne was introduced to the founder of Hopsy, a craft beer delivery company that was in the beginning stages of fundraising. She joined the Hopsey team full-time as the head of finance, and only a few short months after meeting her and convincing Tara to join the team, they began dreaming and sketching the concept that would later become Talaya Beer. Tara had always been into wine and beer. She gained her MBA from NYU and spent extensive time pursuing her interest in wine while working with Brooklyn Winery, Moet & Chandon, and at Wolfer Estate Vineyard in the Hamptons. She also worked for a time at Pricewater Cooperhurst and the New York Times. When she went to join the beer startup Hopsy, her future partner Leanne interviewed her and convinced her to take the job. After several years working together, and then planning, fundraising, and overcoming the many roadblocks it takes to get a physical location up and running, they opened the Talea Brewery and Taproom in Williamsburg, Brooklyn in March of 2021. On today's episode, we discuss balancing work and family, ABVs, opening during a pandemic, and their future expansion plans. Now, on with the episode. Uh, So... What I want to start off by talking about is how you met. One of the most important factors about being in business with someone as a partnership where you're an equal partner is making sure that you found the right partner. And that is something that uh, is often impossible to really uh, plan on paper. But sometimes when you meet someone, you know. Uh, from what I've read, it sounds like when you met each other, you were both already kind of aligned about what you wanted to do in the future. Um, did one of you have to com- uh, you know, convince the other one to combine powers and open up to Leah, or did you both really, is that what you had always both dreamed of doing?
3: Um, so yeah, this is Leanne. I, I would say, um, we both had a shared desire and goal of being entrepreneurs in the beer industry and having our own brewery. Um, We met at a beer e-commerce startup called Hopsy. We were both, you know, eight to 10 years into other more traditional corporate careers when we decided to leave um, and join the beer industry. Um, I joined in 2017, and then Tara joined that company in 2018, right when we moved the headquarters to New York City. So when we met in the spring of 2018, it only took about three months for us to realize we had such a common vision, um, and we created an LLC and worked on that as a side hustle for a while until April 2019, when we launched our first sphere. Um but I think we were both kind of each other's catalyst for making the leap. I definitely would not have done it without meeting Tara. Tara had also already done a lot of the like legal legwork that I hadn't looked into uh, at that point. Um, and we have very complimentary skill sets. So our partnership has been incredible. It's it's. Pretty wild that we met in our early thirties and within three months embarked on this essentially like lifelong venture together. Um, you know, dragging our husbands along and putting all of our financial future at risk—it's—it's uh, it's pretty crazy, but it's—it's it's been essential to the success of this business for sure.
2: Can you talk a little bit about Hopsy for folks that don't know what that was when you when you both started working there, what type of company was it, and what were your roles there?
3: I joined Hopsy um, when I was living in San Francisco, so at the time it was a growler delivery service uh, so basically you could go online order a fresh beer from a local tap room uh, poured on draft into a growler and it'll be delivered at your door. Uh, before I joined Hopsy, I was working in finance at Google. So I was in the Bay Area um, and home brewing, getting my MBA at Berkeley at night, but searching for a way to step into the beer industry without going all in on my own brewery. Um, and Hopsy was a nice middle ground for that. I joined them as their head of finance And um, pretty quickly, we ended up getting funds from a large beer company, um, a a national or or international beer company that was based um, close to New York City in the US. And the business model rapidly changed from just a growler delivery service to um, expanding across the country with a hardware device in your home. Um, that was supposed to dispense craft beer, and a network of breweries from which we would source the beer, repackage, and send to people's homes. Um, So that was, you know, a great introduction to the alcohol industry in general, learning about the three-tier system, but more importantly, from my perspective, was um, a startup 101, everything you don't learn in business school about a startup, like What is workers' comp insurance? How do you run payroll? How do you set up a chart of accounts from scratch? Um, All this from kind of an HR finance perspective, because that was my um, area in the company. Um, But when we moved the headquarters to New York City, we opened up a role for a head of customer experience, and that's when Tara's application came across my desk.
4: Leanne was serving as human resources, head of finance, pretty much the jill of all trades at Hopsy, and i interviewed with leanne um as leanne tells the story you know we were two women who both had mbas and both were drawn to craft beer and she took the leap a year earlier than me when she joined Hopsy. so i was joining um hopsey once it was past its initial you know very young phase and was in a growth phase. Uh, But yeah, it was pretty quick after we met about three months after we met was when we formed our LLC and that relationship between us developed because similar to our space now, you know, there are only, we were the only two women in management at this beer based company. Um, We would go get lunch together, go to happy hour together and just talk about, in our moments of frustration, what we really wanted to do with our lives, and both of us really wanted to start our own breweries. So we realized we had alignment, and as Leanne has, you know, mentioned, we have very complementary skill sets, which set us up um, for a good foundation for building the business. But we had never started, despite working at a startup, uh, starting a craft brewery is very different. Leanne had been effectively the CFO during fundraising for Hopsy, but fundraising for your own brewery is quite a different animal, building the business plan and all of the legwork that goes into it. So um, it's, it's been amazing though to find someone who you have so much in common with despite different backgrounds and can align with on a long-term vision. It's like a a work marriage.
2: Yeah, it's, you know, you might end up spending more time with your business partner than your actual partner. Uh, and so it has to be someone who you can, uh, understand and, and hopefully be aligned with, but also someone that you can argue with and that you're going to hear out their opinion, even if you think that they're wrong. So you had some previous work experience together. Um, but that doesn't necessarily just because you work with someone doesn't necessarily mean that you can like you can run a business with them um when you were at hopsy and you were having those discussions about potentially starting your own business together was part of that or any of that sp- spurred on by things that were happening at hopsy like did you see a company that you didn't want to be a part of anymore and that didn't necessarily fit into your general ideas of what you both wanted to do or was it more you had a a vision and a direction and you wanted to pursue that on your own
3: yeah i think for the most part it was just that we realized there's a huge gap in the market there's a huge opportunity that none of these breweries that um, we were sourcing beer from were going after which is a consumer like us um not bearded, not always wearing flannel. I'm wearing flannel today. Um, But, you know, like talking about and presenting beer more similar to uh, the way wine companies do it or the way hard seltzer companies do it. And so we were working with dozens of breweries across the country Tara was interfacing with, you know, 30,000 plus customers across the country every day. And so we learned quickly which breweries were succeeding and which weren't and what the customers were really after. And 90 percent of that came down to branding and alcohol by volume. (laughs) Um, And we we want to target the customer who's more interested in the branding and the story and the positioning of the beer in the market. Um and very few breweries were actively trying to speak to those customers. So for sure there were leadership lessons learned um, at Hopsy, at Google, at the New York Times, in the Navy, like everywhere we had worked previously. Um it's it becomes a culmination of the, the type of leader, the type of company that you dream of running someday. Um and you know, since we've had 30 plus employees for the last several months, you know, there's still a lot we have to learn. From and learn about ourselves as well. Um, but the the real impetus, I think, was just our entrepreneurial drive and realizing that there's a huge need in the craft beer industry that um, nobody was addressing.
2: Can you expand actually on what this gap is in the market and, and how you set out to target it? Uh, I you, you, you touched on branding and all alcohol by volume. So, um, if you could speak to those two points, uh, in a little greater detail, I assume that you're talking about not everyone is necessarily looking to drink a super high alcohol beer perhaps. Um, and then on the branding front, what exactly, uh, do you mean by that? And so if there are other points that have become part of your mission statement that you've, uh, that you've wanted to tackle and take head on, if you could uh, also include those about how you differentiate Talea from other uh, from other breweries and other products in the market.
4: Yeah, um, so those purchasing patterns were what we saw at Hopsy when customers were just shopping for mostly male customers were shopping for beer on the e-commerce platform that we offered. When Leanne and I first started talking about starting a brewery, we, like most entrepreneurs, we started with a problem that we felt existed for us personally, which is browsing a craft beer aisle. We didn't see many products that were thinking of us as part of their consumer base. So a lot of craft beer breweries, being founded by men have more masculine aesthetics on their cans. And furthermore, when you think of a brewery experience, it's not always a place that you want to bring a bunch of friends to celebrate a bachelorette party or bring, you know, your mom or your aunt or your sister. And so we started with a hypothesis that there might be other consumers out there who feel excluded from craft beer, Uh, women being a segment that we can personally speak to authentically being female consumers. So once we had that hi- hypothesis we started researching just craft beer demographics, what was what the trends are in the industry. And what we found is that historically in places like New York City that are still new to craft beer versus a more craft beer mature city like Portland Oregon or San Diego New York City's at a 70-30 male-to-female craft beer drinking split in terms of the existing demographics. But in more mature craft beer cities, you get closer to 50-50. So over time, craft consumption among women is growing. And at the time we were building the business, uh, the stats were that the female craft beer consumer base is growing at twice the rate of the market itself. So in New York, it's still a growth market and we felt we could be the craft beer brand that speaks to women who are just discovering craft beer. As we started building our pitch deck and our business plan and researching recipes, naming our company, going through the design process, we realized there's also just a large audience of people who feel like craft beer isn't for them, whether they're, you know, hard seltzer drinkers or wine drinkers. Um, You know, there are lots of craft, there are lots of communities that haven't historically been part of craft beer. And we took inspiration from that and thought about the, you know, the levers we could pull to signal to consumers that craft beer can be for them. And the most obvious one when we didn't have a physical space was the branding on the can. We wanted a can that uh, a design that jumped off the shelf and was gender neutral, but inclusive to female consumers. So when we started working with our packaging designer, our first cans and they all still are very colorful, bright and playful with really clear language on them. Like the ABV is very clear. The style of the beer is very clear and straightforward on the front of the can, which um we our idea was that it would demystify some of craft beer. Uh the other things that we care about are you know creating an experience that is making consumers feel comfortable, having no stupid questions about beer. And that's what we've tried to build in our Williamsburg tap room and brewery. So um being hospitality focused, being welcoming, inclusive, having a staff that represents in terms of their diversity, the type of diversity we want to see in the craft beer consumer. And I mean, we've been doing this for three years, so I'll stop myself there because there are so many little pieces of what we've built um, in the architecture of our brand that are working towards those goals of making craft beer easy to love um, and making our brand a totally different one than the market, which is, those are our two tenants that we work towards uh, in terms of everything from our beer to our experience, easy to love and totally different. When Tara and I, when
3: we looked at the customers at Hopsy, what I was referring to when I said like some people were just um, interested in more of the branding aspect and some were interested in ABB. Um, to me, in my mind, that was like, okay, there are the beer bros, beer nerds out there who are really just looking for the high ABV. Like they don't care what style it is. They don't care who brewed it. Like they were just out to get the highest, the most bang for their buck in terms of alcohol. And then there was this other consumer base that was interested in the the fun tasting notes um, if the beers came with them um, or they were interested in like the the playful names that some of the breweries had. Um, And so that's, you know, that's two very different audiences and um, something that we wanted to dig into um, with our own our own company as well.
2: Yeah, I think one of the one of the really uh, kind of confusing and and off putting aspects about alcohol as of late uh, in the world of wine and cider and beer is that it has been sort of. Uh, A very insular community, which is like, if you don't know about it and you're not willing to do a ton of research on your own, you were almost almost like brushed aside as being someone who wasn't serious about it. And therefore you were treated as an outsider. And, uh, and then you weren't even really considered a, a target customer. I think this was something that is even more extreme in the wine world, but definitely I think in, in the beer world, uh, you see a lot of uh, brands that actually make their names um, have nothing to do with the product in a way, so that you really aren't even sure what you're drinking, right? Like, so um, there's some a lot of whimsical names of wine and beer and cider on the market, um, and it is totally unclear. So um, it's interesting that you mentioned that in the actual physical location you've uh you want to make it feel very inclusive and and very fun and welcoming so uh how did you accomplish that in your physical space how do you how do you win people over that are intimidated by beer and by by ordering in general and not wanting to feel stupid how do you get them to uh to be excited and to ask those questions and how have you trained your staff in order to do that?
3: So I would say like 20% of it is our space itself. Um, a lot of brewery tap rooms are pretty dark and industrial. And um, I would say insular, like you said, like you either belong there or you feel like the oddball out. Whereas our space, you know, it's a work from, cafe type vibe during the day we open at nine every day and serve coffee and then that eventually transitions into more of a beer drinking crowd um so it's it's light it's bright there's a ton of, of natural light coming in um from it's about three thousand square feet of space that we have in the tap room so very inviting um We're also, we have street seating and sidewalk seating, so you can't miss us when you're walking by. Um, And I would say another 20% is the product itself. So as Tara mentioned, you know, having descriptors and tasting notes directly on the can on our product, um, on our menu, which has, Um, we focus less on the exact hops that we're using or the types of brewing methods that we're using and more just on, you know, you'll get a pineapple push pop or, um, a a red sour patch kid, um, from different types of beers that we're making. And it's really, anyone can relate to that. Um, our tasting notes are very nostalgic and fun and playful. Um, and yeah, anybody can pick up one of our menus and find something that resonates with them. Um, And then the other 60% or so is our staff. And that was a scary part for us when we finally opened our doors as we were turning over our vision and um, our, our entire company and our reputation into the hands of people we had just hired two weeks earlier. um, And, and, trusted them to know our story and our vision and to talk about our product uh, the way we've been talking about it for the past few years. Uh, But they're phenomenal. And one of the things we offer first on our menu are tasting flights, which again, for someone who's new to beer is a great way to just try a little bit of a few things across the board. Um, And our staff is trained to talk them through every one of those beers on the flights and can answer the most technical questions like um, what brewing methods or what yeast or hops did you use in this particular beer? Um, but can also keep it very high level and simple. You know, we can tailor our discussions with the customers based on how interested or how in depth they want to go. Um, it's a constant battle. I mean, it's the service industry. So there's, we have a lot of people who, um, you know, this isn't their end-all be-all. They, they have other goals and dreams. And so turnover is just a given. Um, so it's, it's a huge investment in time, but it's so worth it to make sure that the people coming into our space feel welcome and that our staff is the best representation of our brand.
2: Did you hire a general manager or someone to kind of organize the tap room and and the front of house, someone who had previously worked at a brewery or do do both of you oversee that process day to day?
4: We did not hire a GM before we opened. We opened in mid-March, right, as New York City was opening back up. And to be honest, we were, you know, we had our entire lives basically living here in preparation to open and we wanted to see how it went with doing it ourselves. We have a head of operations, her name is Joy, and she was the acting tap room manager uh, with Leanne and I doing a lot of the support work, everything from purchase orders to assisting with hiring and training. So looking back on it, I think a GM would have been worth the investment, but we are, you know, we have been so hands-on with the business that we also really wanted to understand what it would take to open and fill all of those gaps as a new company. Um, as we expand and grow, it's definitely a role that we will have on board uh, far in advance of opening additional tap rooms. But the best part of that process was getting to see, everything we'd worked on for years come to fruition. And I think that was really important for us to be hands-on and imprint the staff with our mission and the work we've put into building this company. Because the two years before we opened, we were doing all of our sales and deliveries ourselves. And um, that made a big impact on our ability to get traction in the local market as a contract brewed beer company at the time. And so, yeah, I think it was it was a wild ride. Uh, but now we have a great team in place and we're really confident and comfortable with the way we're operating.
2: You spoke about the design of your space and how it's bright and airy and also how you, uh, you open at nine in the morning. So I'm curious a couple things about the space. First off, if you can speak to, uh, the design aesthetics, uh, obviously, this is a podcast, no one can see what's going on right now. But if they've been there, or they can go to uh, and Google it, they'll see that it is really a truly beautiful space with uh, really thoughtful lines and colors and decisions. Uh, I would love to hear about uh, if you used a design company to help with that, or if uh, both of you did the design. And also, was it a uh, decision from the beginning to open up in the morning? Like, was it a business decision to serve coffee at 9 a.m. and try to have it be a co-working space? Or was that a later decision um, that you made after you had opened? And was it a financially motivated decision to to try to increase your hours and to try to get more people in the seats earlier on in the day?
3: So we used a designer for sure. Darren um, <laughs> and I... While well, we have many strengths, um, building, designing, and um, architecting a space is not one of them. Our architect and interior designer is Sarah Carpenter from a firm called Carpenter & Mason. Um, we engaged with her way before uh, we even signed a lease on a space uh, we had her our eyes on her uh, very early on for the work she's done in the hospitality industry in, in New York, probably most notably for locals would be um, some of the Van Leeuwen ice cream shops or the Two Hands Australian cafes. Um, so we knew we loved her aesthetic, and uh, she was excited to work on a beer brewery, which she hadn't done before, um, and she took inspiration from the Bauhaus movement, uh, which was a, a group of... Uh, or it was an art school, but noted known for a group of female artists who kind of paved the way um, in the art world with a lot of different textures and um, textiles used in the industry. So that can be seen in our tap room as well. We have a lot of natural materials. We have a concrete mixed with wood, and then a ton of tile everywhere. Um, but she really helped us create more of a winery environment than a typical beer environment. Um, so we love this space and we're working with her on our future locations as well. Um, we decided to open at 9 a.m. That was always a part of the plan. We wanted to be a great place for the neighborhood and we do. We love having our regulars come in in the mornings uh, with their dogs. There's a lot of people who are working from home right around us and come in for their morning cold brew and probably a dozen or so people working from our space every morning. Um, It's by no means a profit generator for us. I think we might break even in the morning hours uh, but that's okay for us. We're we're going to keep it. We intend to keep those hours um, for the foreseeable future. Um, you know, as long as we're breaking even, we think it's a great amenity for the neighbors.
2: I want to talk about the opening time frame. You opened in March of of twenty twenty one, right? Yep. And so we're talking full swing, basically COVID uh, a lot of folks working at home, huge amount of New York City, of course, the the whole country, but a huge amount of New York City in flux as people are making a lot of decisions about whether they're going to be leaving the city or staying. Um, did you, was that your original timeframe? Uh, did you, consider switching your time frame at all to be either earlier or just trying to wait it out um and then in addition to all of that which i've thrown at you i want to know if uh those first couple weeks how did it feel uh to be open to have you know let your your dream you threw open the doors to to this project that you had been dreaming about um not in ideal, not under ideal condition. So what was that like?
4: It was wild to go back to your question about our opening timeline. We've had people say, you know, you're so brave for opening a business <laughs> during COVID. <laughs> and we did not, not only did we not plan that, but we didn't have a choice. We put these wheels in motion at the end of 2018 when we started building a business plan and plan to, you know, leave our jobs to pursue our dreams and, you know, fundraise to build the brewery. So April, 2019 really was the jumping off point for this project that took uh, about two years to get us up and running. So we had signed the lease on this space, November 1st, 2019, and it took until August 2020 to break ground, we were impacted by COVID, but in less obvious ways. So for example, just the general slowdown of all of the construction projects stopping in New York City and the impact that that had on the team we had in place, both our architect and our general contractor, you know, slowed down things. We also went through, because we hadn't broken ground when COVID hit we went back to our budget and started cutting costs before we broke ground so that we could create more runway for ourselves because when we broke ground in August, 2020, you know, we were facing a winter with no vaccine in sight. We didn't know when we finished construction, if we'd be able to even have customers inside or what sort of operation we would look like. So um, it was, challenging but we just had to forge ahead because at that point we had already closed our fundraising round and you know we were full throttle had the lease already but when we opened in March it was fortuitous timing we would have we would have had to open anyway because we're starting to pay rent on our space and it was just as New York City was at 25% capacity indoors Most of our team was able to get vaccinated before we opened because they were in, um, you know, public facing roles, working in hospitality. So those things were, I don't want to say serendipitous, but it ultimately worked out. It was very terrifying for us. And that's one of the reasons why we didn't hire a GM. We didn't know if anyone would come. I mean, we have confidence in our brand and our product, but everyone was in hibernation for a year with COVID. And so we weren't sure what the interest in drinking beer in a public space would be, or it was still winter. Would people want to sit outside at night when it's dark out at 5 PM? So there were a lot of unknowns, but you know, like, like I mentioned, we had spent years building this company and we were just so excited to see people drinking beer, drinking our beer in front of us because for 2 years we were selling our beer to whole foods and a lot of great craft beer boutiques in the city and once you drop off that delivery to the basement you know you don't know what happens to that beer you don't get to see people enjoying it you don't get direct customer feedback because of the three tier system so it was really despite all of the stresses and you know the overarching anxiety of a global pandemic it was really wonderful. Um, And so we basically lived here for months on end at the suffering of our spouses and our kids. We both had kids during the pandemic. So that was another wrench thrown in there. But I think all of that also made us prioritize and be organized and do so much work up front before opening that Um, We tried to set ourselves up for success, but as we've learned, there's, you know, it's the law of what can go wrong will go wrong and things that you wouldn't even predict would go wrong will go wrong, especially when you have a front of house tap room operating adjacent to essentially a beer factory. So we also have the challenges of mechanicals and, um, you know, the unpredictability of yeast and all of that to deal with on top of a typical Restaurant or bar set of challenges.
2: Did both of you have children during the pandemic while you were opening up your business?
3: Yeah, we thought that was the best possible timing. <laughs> <laughs> it was actually in the business plan. Was, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I. This is Leanne. I had my son at the end of April, 2020, um, on the Upper East Side. So, walked into the hospital across from the. COVID field hospital uh, in Central Park. Um, My husband wasn't allowed to stay with me after birth. It was my, it's my first child. It was a pretty traumatic experience. Yeah. Um, And Tara had twins in November, 2020. They're almost a year old. Um, And she had a challenging pregnancy as well and had preemies and spent uh, several months in the hospital. So, um, it wasn't easy. And, but it's another one of those things about our partnership. You don't know the, the challenges and the struggles and, and the difficulties that come with having kids until you do it. And so we're both kind of in the trenches together and totally like we both leave before five thirty every day at work because we have to, um, go home and meet our nannies and and get our kids. And that's really difficult to do when you have a startup. And we would be here for hours and hours later than that if we could. But, um, obviously our kids have given us a whole new, um, not a whole new purpose, but a a whole new perspective and just another reason that we want to make this business succeed.
2: Yeah, so I have a young son who was born during the pandemic as well, uh, and I, this is really fascinating because uh, finding finding the time and the balance is is so tough when you're launching a business and when you run a business because there is a push and pull. There's always going to be a thought in the back of your head that if you're with your children, you're missing out at what's going on at the business and vice versa. And where does your attention lie and your focus and, and your passion. And so I want, I would love to hear either one of you or both of you speak on, if you have that push and pull, what does it feel like to you? And how do you, how do you deal with those feelings when you, when you do leave it at 530 or you don't come into the brewery one day because something's going on at home and you have to stay home or something happens at, at work and you aren't able to get home when you wanted to, how do you, how do you deal with all of that?
4: It's constant FOMO, no matter what. Yeah. <laughs> this is Tara speaking. Um, you know, we broke ground like, like I mentioned in August, 2020, and I moved, I was living with my parents for the first six months of my pregnancy because of COVID and then moved back to New York mid-September and on October 2nd was sent from an ultrasound to go to the hospital to go under monitoring because of what was going on with one of my twins and lived there for five weeks and they were almost seven weeks early. So then I was back there for another four weeks visiting every day uh, while they were in the NICU. And during the midst of that, you know, we were running pilings into the ground and hit a water main. And there was basically Mount Vesuvius in the, in the brewery space during construction, which Leanne managed. Um, so that one, I wasn't so sad about missing out on, but Mm -hmm. I guess my, my point is that, you know, you have to have complete trust in, your team and Leanne and I are really fortunate that at this point too, we don't micromanage each other. We don't try to duplicate everything. We have to trust each other and trust the other members of our team to execute because we can't be here all the time. And I think for type A business people like us, it's very difficult to cede control or to delegate. Um, But in the same vein, you know, I feel that way with my kids too. I, It's easier when they're young because it feels like they just want to be loved. But now that they see you walk into a room and they get excited and start making all sorts of crazy baby noises, um, you realize it, it really hits me in my heart that I'm not, I'm only spending two hours or three hours a day with them during the week. But um, I think... We just have bigger goals in mind, which is building a business that has a lot of different missions. And yes, one of those missions is that eventually we can have actually a better work-life balance than if we had stayed in the corporate world, potentially, but also that we want to make a company that our kids will be proud of us for, which is very far down the line since mine you know, just learned to crawl last week, but I think it is, gives you more purpo- a different dimension of purpose. And more perspective on what's important.
2: We're going to take a quick break. Stick with us here on Heritage Radio Network.
1: Good food is worth a thousand words. This is Aarti Menon, and I'm delighted to share a new podcast with you. My Family Recipe from Food52 and Heritage Radio Network. Adapted from Food52's much-loved column of the same name, the My Family Recipe podcast will bring its pages to life. Each episode of My Family Recipe brings you a cherished heirloom recipe and the story behind it, from voices across the world of food.
3: We'd open these tubs of dough and it was, they would exhaust these incredible yeasty fumes, and it just smelled like nothing else. It was so intoxicating.
1: I'll interview writers and chefs, parents and children, about what's passed down along with the foods that we know and love.
3: Chinese people aren't, like, born with a download on how to, like, velvet chicken. You know, like, that's not something that just, like, comes to you.
1: Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Welcome back. I'm your host, Eli Sussman, and I hope you enjoyed those brief sponsor messages. We're going to jump back in with the second half of the Talaya Beer episode with founders Tara and Leanne. You both worked for some really huge, powerful companies. Uh, You've had really big positions at companies before, but uh, this was the first time that you had your own business managing payroll and and hiring and firing. So um, first off, what has that experience in general been like of having 30 folks that look to you for a paycheck every week? And then also, if you can speak to the labor market right now, and if... um, you felt any influences of uh, of what people have been writing and and talking about, which is that there are um, there have been in either shortages or um, folks that have made other career decisions. Has that impacted people that are in the uh, in the beer world like you as well?
3: One of the things I'm most proud of with this company is being able to create jobs. We employ, I think, over 35 people right now, about 10 are full-time salaried, and the remaining are um, part-time, mostly working uh, for our beer crew in the front of house. And that's always such an enormous privilege and enormous responsibility. Um, So, you know, we love building and being able to grow our team, which we intend to do. Um, We haven't directly experienced any shortages. Like I mentioned, we, we have turnover. Um, I'm not sure how we compare it to industry averages, but we still have, you know, about half the people that started with us in um, March are still with us, which we are really proud of and are so happy to have people who want to stay with us. Um, but we, we also haven't had any issues um, hiring. So, Not sure if that's unique to the beer industry or unique to our business model, or maybe we're just such a small sample size that, um, that, you know, we haven't felt those impacts or haven't needed more people than are available. Um, but it's, it's been, uh, people are the most challenging part of any business. Um, but you know, we were very involved with every single person we hired when we started, we'll have to delegate some of that soon. Um, but yeah, we haven't had too many challenges in that area.
2: That's great. I'm I'm happy to hear that.
4: Yeah. Before we opened, we talked about what, you know, we talked about what the onboarding experience would be like and the orientation and what the internal messaging of the type of company we want to build would be because, we had been saying these mantras to ourselves for years, but how that actually plays out when you're hiring people who don't know you. um, And in some cases hiring people who have never worked in the service industry, you know, how do you orient them within our company and while teaching them all the practical things like how to hold a tray. um, But we always knew we wanted to create as inclusive and balanced of a business as possible. And one of the things we wanted to address is the divide between front of house and back of house, which in a brewery tap room setting is further divided because you not only have a back of house and front of house serving the tap room, but you have quote back of house as the brewers and the brewing team um, who, you know, don't really get to interact with the customers and, Traditionally, tap room staff don't really get to interact with the brewers either. So, we one of the main ways we address that is we have an um, integrated cross trained team. So, our beer crew is the staff that operates front of house, and they most of them are trained in the majority of roles in the front of house. So. They might be working the retail counter in the morning, serving coffee, selling four packs to go during the week, and then doing a weekend bartender shift, and then maybe the next week working the packaging line within the brewery. So not only are they trained on different activities that support the tap room, but they also fulfill some of our needs uh, to staff back of house roles in the production space, which is great because they know you know, they're on a first name basis with our brewers and we actually have two staff members who started as, uh, almost full-time or full-time front of house team members who now spend the majority of their shifts working in the brewery one as uh, supports production and seller work, which is cleaning tanks and cleaning kegs and things like that. And the other one, uh, helps us with inventory organization and management. So that was really important to us because when we talk about creating a more inclusive and diverse beer universe, it's not just addressing the gap with customers and addressing female consumers who drink beer or may want to drink beer, but it's also addressing the diversity or lack of diversity in brewing. So uh, only 3% of the breweries in the country are operated by women, There are a lot more that are, you know, have a female partner, but there isn't much representation from women or people of color or the LGBTQIA plus community. So we've tried to create a pipeline of talent where we can have someone who reminds us of ourselves. Maybe they quit their corporate job during COVID and they have always been curious about beer and they start on the beer crew and then Um, fill in a couple of packaging shifts and maybe potentially they could grow to be part of the office team or the brewing team. It's a very utopian ideal and there are challenges to it, but on the whole, and it takes a lot more training and a lot more effort in hiring and things like that. But um, I think it's a unique model where we're really trying to put our time and money where our mouth is in terms of building a more inclusive,
2: a lot of people that listen to this podcast listen specifically because they're at a point in their career where they want to uh, launch their own concept. They're, they've been dreaming about it and they're thinking about putting together their uh, deck in pro forma and you both have uh, MBAs and extensive business experience so I'm sure your deck was beautiful <laughs> and, uh, and very very well thought out and fleshed out. Did you have uh, issues getting uh, raising funds? If you did or if you didn't, if you can talk about that process. And then after that, can you give a little bit of advice to someone who has an idea and wants to take it out to market? Obviously, you've executed your plan Uh, successfully you're open and you raised the money that I hope all the money that you needed to. So um, if you can talk about your experience and then uh, lend some advice to someone listening, who's, who's hoping to achieve what you've achieved.
3: Sure. So we, when we opened our fundraising rounds, we didn't have a beer yet. Um, But we were self funding the contract brewing portion of our business um, and did so in its entirety, uh, and then just fundraised for the actual brewery itself. We felt we needed to do that because there are so many breweries in the space. Um, you know, the shelves are very crowded. If we went to a lot of investors with just an idea for another brewery, we felt that that wouldn't be enough to get the funds we needed. Um, which at the time we thought would be about $2 million to, to build a brewery in a tap room. So um, it took us one year to raise a little over $2 million for our first location. Um, we have over 100 investors. It's all friends, family, and angel investors. Um, so it's a huge cap table, uh, but that's what we needed to do. Our minimum investment amount was $10,000. So it was many of our investors' you know, first private investment. Um, fortunately, a brewery is something fun to invest in so that always helps um and came with you know fun perks like you know first rounds on us whenever you visit the tap room and things like that um we pitched like hundreds of times um a few times it just fell on deaf ears we had some um older male investors who wouldn't invest because their wives didn't like beer or they they just tried to explain to us why women don't drink beer. And those were just kind of a easy to move on from, you know, they clearly weren't the right investors for us, but we definitely had those. Um, but ultimately, we, we were able to raise a little over two, but that was only half of the amount we needed. Um, the space we moved into needed a ton of work. And we had to also get an SBA loan for almost 2 million. That's personally backed by uh, both me Tara and our spouses. So we are massively in debt personally (laughs) um, with uh, all the money tied into our production facility here in our first tap room. But um, it's, it's definitely challenging. I think my advice for anyone who's, um ready to make that leap is to do as much research as possible you know Tara and I w- the first time we thought about having a brewery was years before we even met and we did we have a 25 page business plan that has a ton of market research in it and we put in the investment to create a beer and to make sure it sold before we started fundraising and building everything, um, or at least doing that in tandem. So for us, it was very calculated. I think we de-risked a lot of factors before we closed the round and started construction. Um, but I mean, the sooner you can get a prototype or start pitching, we still in our second round that we're about to open, we're getting feedback now from trusted advisors, like just continuing to network and getting feedback from people who do this for a living, whether what you're trying to build or professional investors uh, is always helpful.
2: I'm going to ask a sort of a technical question. Feel free to not answer if you don't want to, but did everyone that invested, did they invest at the IP level in the actual beer brand, or did you only take on investment for the tap room? Because you have two, uh, simultaneously running revenue streams, right? You've got your actual physical location where people can drink beer and buy beer. But then you also have a distribution channel, which I assume goes through a third party beer distributor and that goes to other restaurants and grocery stores. So when people invested, were they kind of all in or did you have two? Did you have in, uh, an A and a B class? How did that work?
3: Uh, Our investors are all in. So it's under Talea Beer Inc. We created a C-Corp and it's the distribution arm falls under it. We only recently partnered with a distributor this past August um, in the New York City area. And it's also our current taproom and all future taprooms. So they got in at the ground floor.
2: Amazing. Cool. I, uh, you, you have alluded to future locations during this conversation and you, uh, you had mentioned, you know, Van Leeuwen being, uh, something that, that your designer had designed and they obviously have a lot of locations. So I'm curious, are there, are there brands that you are, that you love, that you aspire to grow like, and also what is the growth plan? Of Tulea, and and what might that look like when you're um when you're sketching that out on paper, or if it's already uh, if it's already begun, and you have another location that you can talk about, uh, would love to hear what you've got in the works.
4: It has already begun, which is super exciting for us. So when we wrote our original business plan and raised our original fundraising round. Our plan was always to take advantage of the New York State Farm Brewery License, which enables you to have up to five branch offices besides your production facility. And a branch office, you know, could be a farm stand in the case of a true farm brewery that's selling beer. Um, but for us in New York City, that looks like having tap rooms that replicate the experience you can get here in Williamsburg and other neighborhoods in Manhattan, Brooklyn, and hopefully the Hamptons. So we have signed a second lease on our second location, which will be in Cobble Hill. Um, we just signed that lease recently. So we're looking at a spring 2022 opening and we're in negotiations with a couple of other locations. We'd ideally love to have a room uptown, and in downtown Manhattan, um, and then one in the Hamptons and potentially a kiosk type concept either near central park or in midtown where you can buy four packs to go versus consuming on-premise. So each one will be tailored to the needs and the feel of the neighborhood and the space. So from everything, from the aesthetics to the service model will change to meet the needs of the local customers. Um, but we we draw inspiration from other brands yes van Leeuwen is one for sure but you know for us it's about having talea be your favorite local beer bar that's vertically integrated serving beer made here in New York City. So we when we look at um, data for people who are getting Google directions to our location, we have a lot of customers coming from the Lower East Side, Downtown Manhattan, and Upper West Side and Upper East Side. And so it just makes sense to enable them to not have to make a trek to Williamsburg every time they want a four-pack. Of course, they can get our beer in their local Whole Foods and a lot of other um, bars and retailers, but we always wanted to, again, make beer more inclusive. And by replicating the business model here in other
2: neighborhoods, we hope to be closer to more of our customers. When I hear about all these locations and the New York growth plan, uh, is it is it part of your plan, part of your hope to remain a independently owned beer company um, co-CEOs, Tara and Leanne, or um, do you build a company like Talea with hopes of uh, being acquired by a larger beer company one day?
3: I think ideally Talea will be nationwide within seven to 10 years. Um, we plan to eventually distribute nationally uh, when it makes sense and to continue to replicate this taproom model that we we will have created in New York City into other metropolitan areas where there are similar demographics and um, ideally that in cities that are also underserved in breweries per capita, which New York is vastly underserved. Um, so that's that's the long-term plan. Um, in terms of what an exit looks like, if there is an exit, we, we aren't really focused on that at this point. Um, we're open to, to anything, if it makes sense at the time for us personally and for the company, um, you know, of course we want to see it live forever and continue, uh, to pursue the same mission and vision that, that we founded it with. Um, but who knows, we're, we're absolutely not against You know the craft brewers who have had successful exits via acquisition um people worked hard to build their companies to a certain level and if cashing out is what made the most sense for them then great for them um we're also totally open to just letting it grow organically and us continuing to have leadership positions maybe we would hire an outside ceo someday Um, we're open to it right now. We're just kind of taking it one fundraising cycle at a time. Uh, and this next, next funding cycle is just for our New York city expansion. And that is going to require all of our attention, um, for the next several years, but, um, yeah, there's a lot of potential, uh, trajectories and possible exits for us in the future, but we're not really, um, driving towards one in particular.
2: I want to close by asking about uh, the beer, of course. So uh, you know, it's, we're going into winter right now. I would love to hear about some flavors that you have coming out, maybe a couple that always stay on the menu. And then of course, if you can just reiterate where people can find you the address of the, uh, the tap room specifically in Williamsburg, so that they can come by and try them out.
3: Sure. So we only have two beers right now that are always available. Uh, The first one is Sun Up, our flagship hazy IPA. Um, So it has a lot of tropical, lush, citrusy, fruity character and is brewed with a little milk sugar. So it gives it a nice round body and a little vanilla, creamy finish. Um, The other one is Al Dente, our Italian style pilsner Uh, which is brewed with German hops and has a nice herbal rosemary cracker and honey type flavor. Um, That's been our top seller here in the tap room for uh, many, many weeks now. And then we always have different series of fruited sours, um, ranging from pretty low ABV, around 4.5% and very dry, all the way to 7.5% ABV, um, a lot of residual sugar from the fruit, and again, milk sugar, um, and those are always available just with rotating fruits. Um, I'll let Tara talk about some of our fun specialty seasonal beers because that's the fun stuff.
4: Yes, it's been – we were pretty conservative when we opened in terms of our styles. We would historically brewed only hazy IPAs and sours with fruit in them, but we've seen a really big appetite for – low ABV beers and um, our adjunct beers, adjuncts in beers, basically anything that's not a hop water or yeast and or, or malted barley. So we have this week coming out a new beer called Overnight Oats, which is inspired by, of course, the breakfast food Overnight Oats. Um, it's a stout brewed with a couple of different kinds of oats. Oats add protein uh to the beer so it adds some mouthfeel body and like a really beautiful head when you pour the beer and this particular one is brewed with banana cinnamon and vanilla so like a breakfast style nothing wrong with a breakfast style beer Um, and we also have coming out soon we're doing a collaboration beer with two female-run hop farms. Um, it'll be a wit beer, and that'll be coming out in November. Proceeds will go to local breast cancer organizations and um, one based in the Pacific Northwest where the these two female hop farmers are from. So we don't actually have a name for that beer yet, but um, it's probably the, you know, 99% of our job is, is very not creative so much, but naming the beers and coming out what we're going to brew next with our brewers is the, that's the fun, the fun stuff.
3: And then we have a winter warmer coming up too. Um, It'll be a Belgian double style with uh, like mulling spices. And that will be called Mittens, which we're very excited about.
2: And where can folks come and drink the beer? What are your hours and what's the location? You can
3: find our beers in over a hundred bars, restaurants, and retailers around New York City, Long Island, and in Westchester. Um, we're in all Trader Joe's and Whole Foods um, and Wegmans in New York City. And uh, beyond that, you can come to our tap room. We're at 87
4: Richardson Street in Brooklyn, New York. Um, with we're them. open oh, yeah. from 9 a.m. every morning. We have breakfast tacos and actual overnight oats uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> and free Wi Fi and free oat milk to entice you. Again, the oats just keep the coming oats. up. They're so good um, <laughs> and we close at 9 o'clock Sunday through Wednesday and 10 o'clock Thursday to Saturday. So we're very family friendly. Uh, obviously with our kids, we want to make a a place for parents to feel comfortable bringing their kids. Um, You can make a reservation at our website, talayabeer.com, but we're also, we have lots of walk-in space and indoor and outdoor space. So we hope we can provide something for everyone. Um, And again, just broaden the craft beer market and get people excited about drinking
2: craft beer. Tara and Leanne, thank you so much for taking time to speak to me today on this episode of the line uh you have very very busy lives and i very much appreciate uh you sharing your story uh with the listeners of heritage radio this has been great thanks a lot the line is powered by simplecast thanks for listening to heritage radio network food radio supported by you